Welcome to the Skill Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help your skill your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Malcolm, the CEO of Alva Labs. Malcolm, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Mike. Great to be here and looking forward to our chat. It's my pleasure and I really enjoy your journey. So you have been almost in all uh, sides of the table uh, as an entrepreneur, as an investor. And, uh, but for the ones who don't know you yet, and that will have a, a huge pleasure listening to this podcast. So not, not, no pressure. Uh, <laughs> who is Malcolm? <laughs> who is Malcolm? Yeah, uh, the, the, the short or medium uh, long story, I guess. Um, um, so yeah, my name is Malcolm. I'm founder and CEO of uh, Alva Labs. Uh, I'm a except for Alva, father of two small children, Ted just turned four years old, uh, and Aline um, 15 months, so it's, wow. uh, it's a handful on, on both ends of, of life at the moment, and my, and my wife Lippa, uh, and uh, we live in Stockholm, Sweden, where I'm born and raised, and that's also where Alva HQ is, and the majority of our employees at the moment. Um, and yeah, quick background on, on me. So um, I guess I've been more or less like pulled into uh, startups or like early stage uh, ever since university. So I studied Stockholm School of Economics um, um, right. a, a major in economics and accounting uh, and was always sort of excited about uh, building. So I actually uh, started my first company uh, during university uh, I, at the time. Um, small booking platform for events and conferences uh, and spent most of my time in the sort of university incubator, which was the, uh, the, the best experience, I think, from my university years, which also is reflected in my grades. So, so don't ask about those. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, that was really like a super exciting um, peak into entrepreneurship and, and the startups. Um, I guess my experience from those two years was that, you know, really exciting. Uh, and I think I felt at home uh, building, but I wasn't necessarily like super passionate about the problem space. It was more driven from, you know, uh, let's start a company, write a few nice. ideas on a whiteboard and take pick the least bad one and, and go. Um, right. Where I think that's, you know, everything is individual. But for me, I think the sort of intrinsic motivation in the problem space is, is quite important. And that's why I'm like extra excited about Alva. Um, and then um, I had a bit back and forth, spent a few months in investment banking in London, but then back again to, to, to startups and joined a small e-commerce company at the time called Furniture Box. So we're, we were competing with Ikea in the sort of mass market uh, furniture right. segment, but only online. And this is 2013. So it was quite wow. a, a ripe market for, uh, for sort of online where I think we had a really exciting uh, uh, two to three years of uh, fast growth going from a million to 30 million in, in sales well, uh, without any external funding. So which was quite so unique for the, kind of the same space of made.com in London. Exactly. Right? Okay. Exactly. So that would be the, the equivalent or the closest peer. Right. I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, th that company was really by, by many measures, like a great success, but the biggest challenge we had and I had was really building and sort of scaling that team from, 
I think we were about five, six people when I joined and then uh, about 70 um, when I left two and a half years later. Uh, awesome. And I think, yeah, all the domains of HR and building an organization was, was uh, challenging. Um, but really this notion of um, like the revolving doors, if you will, uh, where we had to constantly like, fix our mistakes. Uh, and I think we were really struggling to understand what we were looking for and, and uh, ultimately how to then evaluate candidates against something quite abstract. Uh, and we were, right. you know, uh, randomly picking CVs, uh, sitting in interviews, talking about hobbies. Someone played tennis, which I also do. So that was a great, <laughs> great signal. Me too. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, sometimes it worked out and it was great, uh, but, but quite often it didn't. Uh, and I think that was really like a toll on company performance, but also really, really culture. So then after, after two and a half, three years with FurnitureBox, I, uh, as you said, like uh, went on to join the other side of the table. So I, I joined EQT, uh, the Nordic private equity, but also now uh, venture uh, fund um, and um, had a few different roles, but uh, my main focus was part of setting up EQT Ventures and then joining as the first employee in the investment team. I spent about two years nice. in, in, the, in the investment team, you know, looking for uh, and I meeting still great, remember great the, the first uh, investments of, of that firm, and I really enjoyed the approach. Uh, they've uh, invested all across Europe, right? It's not exactly. Pan-European, Pan multi-stage from A and, and later, uh, and also doing some seed as well, um, right. um, which was really, really a super exciting experience as well. But I think after two... After three years, I also felt the urge to go back and, and be operational. Uh, right. And uh, it was at EQT, I also met my, my two co-founders, Bjorn and Peter. Um, and um, for nice. me, the problem space that, that we, that the problem I felt at, the, at Furniture Box was really something that sort of stuck with me. And I also felt was more of a systemic challenge um, mm -hmm. rather than just a Malcolm specific challenge uh, at furniture right. box. And that's really where, where we thought that, Hey, this is a, a huge problem, not solved yet. And uh, all the companies that we were working with um, at EQT, you know, were facing the same challenges. How do we identify and hire great people and uh, yeah, a limit mistakes, but, but really trying to optimize for finding those like golden nuggets. Right. And Absolutely. that really has the biggest impact on, on, on sort of the long-term success of, of the company. So yeah, that's now four and a half years ago. And, and, uh, and now we're here at Alba. Congratulations. That's, that's really a, a great story. And for the ones who are considering to also do the, the move to starting up their own companies, how was the process of finding your two uh, co-founders and uh, what has been kind of the, the criteria or the traits that you have tried to, um, to build the founding team around? Let's say. Right. So... Great question. So that was quite a natural process because it was like we we were colleagues first. We got to know each other quite well. Um, we were and are quite complementary in skills and what we like and want to do. Uh, so that's like a natural fit, uh, I think, from the start. Um, but then really, I think about like, yes, we were the official founders, but there's really this larger core team 
who joined, let's say, the first year, maybe even first 18, 24 months, uh, which really constitutes like the, the full sort of spectrum of skills and, 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 and traits and experiences uh, that has been instrumental to getting this A off the ground, but also to the place we're at now. Um, and that's been, you know, building the, the, the puzzle piece by piece uh, and um, um, yeah, step by step. Definitely those uh, initial 10 uh, members of the team, uh, as we always say, is, are really, really critical. And uh, it's, it's good to do it very well because later on we will pay or benefit uh, from those decisions, right? Absolutely. I think maybe the, that's the most important decisions you make, uh, getting those five first 10 uh, um, hires, uh, right? Which we luckily which luckily did. And all of them are, are still here at Alva, which is like really exciting and core team members still. That's awesome. And what are the roles of your other two uh, co-founders? So um, we're out of three co-founders. We're still two operational in the company. So um, um, Bjorn, who's our CTO and head of analytics, uh, he was working at EQT Ventures in the, the mother brain team, uh, EQT's uh, own AI to detect and, and identify the next big thing. Um, so yeah, that's like really a complimentary, obviously, to me as more of the, the sales guy, if you will. Oh, uh, and and Peter more of a sort of marketing uh, marketing and growth background, um, and then in the sort of wider team, like a key competency for for Alva as a product and as a team oh, is really the um, the part of the sort of research based and scientific approach to the product we build. So uh, Morgan and Kaisa, two of the sort of leading psychometricians and data scientists um, in in this field, which um, like were instrumental to getting. The holistic sort of skill set in place, which is nice. So in in the three co-founders, you didn't have the the technical uh, co-founder, right? Uh, in or just in the early employees. Yeah, exactly. So so that was like that's been key, I think, that Bjorn is is uh, founding CTO and and head of analytics now uh, to really make sure that you have. Uh, right. you, you can get to MVP uh, in the founding team. So you, you add it, you add, you add, yeah. you add that founding uh, CTOs. Yes, and, exactly. And, get it. And, and then you had another um, founder, which was much more on the sales and marketing with sales and marketing background, right? Exactly, Got exactly. It. Let's let's come back into, into Alva and uh, what is your long-term vision and a uh, little bit the dream uh, of Alva for you? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the, the overarching mission uh, at Alva is really to create a fair and efficient job market for all. Um, and I think what we're seeing today is that companies really of all sizes from the startup looking to hire their first employees to the scale-ups, but also the larger enterprises are really struggling to find and identify great talent, right? Like many companies are, are really experiencing like a, hiring crisis uh, and i think there's a few like bigger macro trends playing into this like one the 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 bull market or the heydays we've seen in the last 5 10 maybe even 15 years um, um you know has brought more companies than ever are, are going through sort of hyper growth uh, and uh, competing really for uh, for talent in a much more fierce way than than ever before and adding 
you know, remote work to that, you know, talent is global, opportunity is global. Um, and and any, any, a candidate can pick any job essentially uh, uh, on the planet, which has like completely changed the playing field. Um, so really a fierce competition. And then at the same time, this notion of, you know, the rise of the generalist and the downfall of the diploma, where there's really lots of new roles that didn't even exist five, 10 years ago. Let's just looking at, right. at, uh, at our org chart, yeah, like quite, quite a few roles that, that uh, I didn't know existed when I was back at university, right? right. Um, and uh, roles are really changing rapidly. So the old uh, like list of criterias on hard skills and experiences are becoming much, much more blurry. And there's even one of the big banks here in the Nordics came out and said that they predict that 50% of the jobs in the banking industry will not exist in five, 10 years. So uh, half their staff needs to uh, like essentially retrain and, and yeah, work on new things, right? So that this that the problem of hiring is really becoming much, much harder. Like how do you spot uh, performance or long-term performance when the, uh, the, the hard skills, the, um, the, the things that were stable for so long are now changing. Uh, so the assessment and, and sort of description of the role uh, is much, much harder. And, and then really the, the flip that candidates uh, really possess uh, the power in, in the hiring process, right? talent is everywhere you know we're experiencing the the great resignation in in the uk right. and, and and really in the us but i'd say across europe as well so that's one one part of it but we're still also seeing you know big parts of the talent pool who are really underserved uh, and to be frank like discriminated against right uh, and you know this, the list goes on with really bleak and, and uh, sad stats. You know, women need thirty percent more applications to get the same hit rate. Non-Caucasians fifty percent, and the list go, goes on. So what this tells us really is again to our mission, right? To make a, a fair and efficient job market. The current job and talent market is really inefficient and, and largely broken. We're all fishing in the same pond, stuck in the ways of working, um, um, trying to, you know, um, stick to that old template of criteria that we thought we needed, right? So that's really the, the long-term vision for Alva is how do we um, level the playing field and ultimately enable uh, every candidate to have the same opportunity and for companies to really identify and spot like long-term potential. Uh, and that's one of the most exciting things, I think, with, with this problem space, but also with Alva, is uh, this notion of you know, hitting two, two birds with one stone. There's no trade-off between like hiring for, uh, for performance or doing the right thing from a more like DNI perspective or, or social uh, aspect. Like if you do, if you evaluate candidates on a fair and objective way, you will ultimately uh, create a fair process, uh, mm -hmm. level the playing field, but also optimize for for success and, and performance. And that's that's really the long term vision to to make that happen at scale globally. Great mission and vision and, and the way you articulate it, uh, it, it seems 
easier than it is right to <laughs> describe well what is the problem what is the movement what we're trying to solve and at the same time explaining uh what is the plan in the long term to solve that huge problem uh, that you are attacking you have raised um, a, a series a round uh, 13.3 million us dollar uh, a round uh, in at the end of january uh, so what what's the what looks like the midterm for you in terms of success? So getting, for instance, into a Series B, uh, what do you need to prove? Right. Um, yeah, I think that a big theme for us is uh, expanding geographically to to new markets. So um, we're still like majority uh, of of the business we do is is Nordic based. So a big theme for the coming year and years really is is um like european european expansion where Got uk it. is one of the big uh big steps we're taking now but later this year we'll enter in more officially to, to a few more markets as well so that for sure is one of the big themes yeah. um and um yeah the tons tons of things we want to do on the product side as well it feels like we've just uh just scratched the surface on 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 uh, you know uh, to your point right uh, solving that grander grander mission uh, for the long term exactly yeah i think it's really important to have clear this vision reverse engineering uh, narrative exercise that's the way i call it right uh, so but but for the ones who are listening it's really thinking about your long-term vision first the way we'll solve your problem and then coming into the present uh stopping at the midterm and and then it's at the short term which is uh, typically almost the next the next round uh, in in vc uh, and exactly finding the milestones of the narrative in a in a very articulated way so everyone can can feel and can participate in the construction of uh, that narrative right exactly in terms of ICP, so as you discussed, this is a huge problem that almost every single company in the planet uh, is facing at the moment from small businesses into mid-sized businesses into enterprise businesses, but also the VC-backed ones um, mm. that you have talked about, the hyper-growth. So how are you cascading and uh, attacking this amazing potential in terms of TAM and mm. ICP, but uh, how did you find your niche uh, and how do you keep expanding niche after niche to attack that, that time? Great, great question. I think that, that's honestly been one of the, the, uh, the big challenges for us because to your point, right? Any company looking to hire even one person the next coming year is a potential user of Alba, okay. uh, which on one hand is like exciting from a TAM perspective, but it's not super helpful from a uh, go-to-market uh, perspective, right? So um that, that's a great point and how we're thinking about it now like today we have customers um from you know the small uh, five-man startup uh looking to do their first first hires uh up to the large enterprises a few of the bigger banks uh in the nordics telcos uh, trucking companies Scania, etc uh but really the the sweet spot for us the icp is is the fast growing like SME mid market company um, typically you know uh, a startup scale up in in Alva's phase or or later uh, that's really where we see um, the the best fit uh, today and where we can really come in and create a lot of value 
uh, and you know, looking at our customer list today and the companies we work with, there's a good good portion of the Nordic scale-ups that uh, we're super happy and excited to work with, like companies like Northvolt, Daniel Wellington, Fedora, Anifin, to name a few. Um, so uh, that's the segment we're focusing on uh, the most um, in all markets. I need to ask this question about geographical expansion because every single founder and CEO thinks about this. Uh, should we compete and go into the US or uh, own the European market? Uh, in, I would say in, 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 um, in fewer cases, there is also the consideration of Asia. Uh, it's yeah. becoming more and more popular, but still the US keeps being uh, the most um, interesting and the more appealing markets. If we go into Spain, LATAM is, is becoming also a field of great success for yeah. um, Spanish uh, uh, scale-ups. But uh, what is your view um, on conquering a region or trying to go directly to the US, considering other regions to, to scale? And maybe that's that's not yet the short or even mid, but in, in the long term, mm. um, how is your thought process? I know that this is always changing. This is a, we are learning and getting feedback from the market. So we never know all the answers. Uh, oh, exactly. But where, where are you at the moment? That's a great uh, question. And then uh, that, that's exactly where I am. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's changing and uh, we're constantly like evaluating where we also have the best uh, potential sort of product market fit and sort of sequencing um the markets we go after based on that to a large extent um i think the us is obviously a super exciting market um for many reasons um but if i had to to choose today or like uh, and decide us is not uh the key market in the coming one two years but that can change uh, so we're currently looking more at the european region and if anything uh, maybe Asia actually, uh, and and Latam are, are really exciting for for our product. Um, but we're we're also, to be honest, like in the in the phase of like really mapping mapping that out. Uh, that the short term is much clearer for us, and then I think there's still some quite unanswered questions on the sequencing and and the trade-offs on that. Uh, but it's not a given that the US is is uh, the top priority in the coming one two years. And to remove bias here, I always talk about uh, Asia and LATAM on the show, uh, but I know that there are a lot of exciting things also happening in Africa, and I mm. think that include, including myself, we will need to be a little bit more educated about opportunities in the African continent. For sure. Uh, For sure. See, especially uh, operators from the Nordics as well are very close connected to uh, some funds are operating there and also we see the uk for instance the founders factory from brent oberman yeah also um playing a role uh, over there so i i see some potential in the future maybe the the most exciting regions now are more southeast asia and uh, and more recently uh latin because of course, India and China are continents uh, themselves and yeah. really difficult to compete there. And, and other markets are not uh, as big and also very complicated like South Korea and yeah. Japan. And, and then the typical ones that uh, usually scale-ups approach um, Australia and New Zealand, which are a little bit 
more friendly, but at yeah. the same time, the size of those markets might not compensate even the time zone um, issues, right? So that, that's also a consideration to, to make. So you have described very well uh, this huge problem that we are facing, the great resignation that we see uh, with more emphasis in, in the UK and in the US, but it's happening um, all over. And uh, some of the listeners are saying, okay, we all understand the problem, but uh, what can we do about it? Right. Well, I think um, great. Uh, good to be more practical. I think that the key thing here really is to emphasize um, and, and look for and try to identify this notion which is referred to which like, we talk about a lot with our customers and, and really what the product is all about um, put long-term potential right and in research you talk about potential versus readiness where readiness is really you know can you do the job tomorrow because you've done xyz just now before in your previous role versus potential like do you have the traits the intrinsic sort of motivation, the capabilities, the way you learn new things, uh, go about problem solving, etc. That really speaks to the long-term potential in that specific role or, or any uh, role, essentially. So who are you as a person uh, more than right. exactly have you done X, Y, Z? And by emphasizing that, you can really widening the talent pool, right? Mm -hmm. So you won't need to limit yourself to say, I only going to interview people who've been at XYZ logos before or went to you know, XYZ university or uh, have had this exact role before. But you can rather say, I'm looking for this kind of capabilities and, and this type of person, this individual with this um, sort of fundamental traits to take, a, take on that challenge. Uh, and by that, um, you're really opening up uh, the, the, the top of funnel, essentially. Uh, and then the question is, how do you then go from this, this hopefully large top of funnel in an objective structured way uh, and measuring and evaluating candidates based on this potential? And that's where Alva comes in, right? We're helping you to assess like personality and cognitive assessments and cognitive ability. Um, which then speaks to to that, and then obviously like experience and, and other uh, more readiness esque uh, criteria are important. But the long, the later in the hiring process you can wait with assessing those, you'll end up with a much more diverse uh, and interesting really uh, candidate pipeline uh, where you'll see uh, that there's you know great great talent everywhere. You just need to to look. Um, yeah. That's that's what we do, and, and that's ultimately what we believe is also one of the best approaches to, to sort of attack this problem space with. Right. It's it's curious because it seems that we have kind of two opposite forces, right? So one is um, we need to get to know more about the candidate because it's much less about the resume and much more about what are the traits that the candidate has and how quickly that candidate can learn and can make an impact in the organization. Because what we know for sure, especially in your ICP, is that the responsibilities are changing quite quickly because a company of 50 people, 100 people, 150 people, or 300 people is completely different and the skills needed are completely different. Even the style of leadership um, and the style of the individual contributors, uh, et cetera, et cetera. 
But at the same time, we need to be quite quick to make a decision. So we need more time to get to know people. And at the same time, we have less time to make a decision because those people are also being approached by other players um, in the market and uh, might also be pissed off if the process is too uh, long or uh, there, is, there is no clarity uh, on what are the steps of the process. Right? Exactly. I agree. Point. And I think it's, uh, I think most, the, the general insight we have from starting to work with, with companies of all sizes is really, you know, you can probably reduce or take away half of the interview steps uh, like have clear intent in every activity across the hiring process. Um, it will depend on what type of role it is, how competitive that specific uh, skill set or, or, or competency is. Uh, and thus like designing that hiring process with super clear intent in every step and making sure that like measure what matters and then um, really try to be structured and objective on the things that a yeah, that technology can solve for and then as humans spend time on the things that we actually do really well and that's like late stage get to know the, the candidate in a nutshell is really providing a, a great experience with the product both to the candidate and uh, to the recruiter right so exactly um, making the the tools available for that process to be much easier uh, and having in consideration kind of um what are the most important steps of, of the process? And the, the good thing that I see also on your product is that then you will have a, a, a customer base uh, and you will start seeing some patterns and some data that might be relevant to improve the process in, in the future, right? Exactly. And that's uh, really one of the long-term sort of holy grails. How can we um, learn and improve on a role basis, company basis across and really uh take take a big leap on what today is more of sort of the the research-based foundation but becoming more um sort of deep and insightful to maybe company-specific insights uh, as well that's awesome any tips on uh defining a good strategy in order to be also appealing um to attract talent so having um and i would say not only a talent acquisition but also a talent retention uh, strategy because I think that there is nothing worse than being able to attract but not being able to retain as we talk about ah. SaaS and uh, the customer side uh, if you don't have your retention engine um, fixed uh, it doesn't matter to attack more the acquisition engine so please yeah. fix your retention engine first exactly. and then speed up the acquisition engine but something is, is not right if people are not staying uh, with the company, are not uh, consuming more of the product, let's say, in other uh, words. Exactly. Oh, and I think um, we've been lucky so far to have like really, really strong uh, uh, employee retention. And you really see that like the, the magic that happens year two, three, four when someone's uh, with your company uh, right and uh, I'm at the same same with sauce right it's it's unit economics are great year year two three four five and beyond right um, exactly. and uh, yeah I think what we've tried to do is really emphasize culture uh, and making sure that um, it's a place where people like are constantly challenged 
like just just the right amount of challenge right but that's always like super tricky obviously to to not right. go um beyond to like negative uh, stress and and pressure uh but at the same time making sure it's like super exciting and challenging um so yeah focus on culture and i think we try to really live and breathe um what our product ultimately stands for right uh, to build a great and diverse and inclusive uh, work environment and i think on your question on on uh, attraction i think one key thing actually are like super simple is like go and look at your job ads and uh, try to uh, look at the list of criteria for a specific job and slice it with 50 percent. maybe remove everything like really think about uh, your ad and the way you talk about the roles and opportunities uh, as a top of funnel exercise anyone should be excited about applying and then you need to figure out how you sort of handle that process effectively on on the inside rather uh, because there's you know one this, this one study which is quite interesting where uh, this company had 10 10 criteria so you need to do xyz you need to have you know five years experience of why uh ultimately that t- talent pool that fits that list is like right. close to zero uh you need a 22 year old phd who's also done x uh, and been a leader for you know five years like that and you that scare does. a lot of candidates because yeah. of that right so exactly say, I, I'm, I'm not uh, a good fit for this i will uh, search in another in another uh, place <laughs> exactly and you'll also see that on just on a gender basis like women if 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 uh, if women read that list and don't feel that they fit nine out of ten criteria they won't apply whereas men find one criteria that they feel they fit and they will apply uh, so i think you're really harming uh, your your funnel already without knowing uh, on the way you talk about a your company but also the roles that you're looking to Super hire for. so yeah really be intentful across uh, the funnel and, and try to look for potential and speak about potential uh, i think that's one of the uh, stronger employee branding exercises to to be done and you are right in the same way that we study the website uh, of a company as a customer uh, it's it's a good thing to study the the website and the job ads are going into the linkedin and seeing the way the company um, writes down the the job ads to get a feeling about the the culture all all those things communicate a lot so yeah. uh, thinking about that strategically it's it's really important. It's it's kind of the same of the copy, right? We invest so much time on making sure that we have that narrative, as we were discussing in the beginning, yeah. for for the customer. Uh, and finally, we are in, getting into a moment that we are also uh, investing a lot on the copy to attract uh, the talent that will serve um, the customer. And it's becoming a marketplace where, as CEOs, we need to. Uh, serve both the customer, both the talent. Uh, at the same, if not, the marketplace uh, doesn't work. Exactly. Let's let's jump into uh, your fundraising lessons. Uh, we will need to start to be brief because we have so many topics to discuss here, and it's such a nice conversation. But um, during the the different stages and maybe let's start with the initial stages of um, fundraising and and the previous one um, what what have been some of, of your lessons in the beginning of the company um, at precedence and seed stage uh, compared to your uh, series a uh, that you have raised uh, in in january right so i think first 
foremost, we're, we're, we're yet on our, early on our journey. So uh, I can't speak for any truths, um, but only like my experiences. Experience, and I think um, my experience is like one key learning, I think that I think I didn't really appreciate, even though I was on a VC uh, before, uh, was this notion of that, uh, you know, all these different rounds and stages, you know, the pre-seed, seed, series A, etc., um, are not necessarily like step-by-step sequences that necessarily happen in a, you know, mm-hmm. timely manner uh and uh, after each other uh and 12 uh, 18 months and that's it so exactly. if you are not there stop exactly <laughs> and i think that the overall sort of narrative when you like read on uh, you know twitter pe- people are killing it uh, right left and center yeah. uh, everything seems so uh clear and like a straight line from inception to ipo uh whereas my experience is much more like especially maybe the seed stage much more of a phase which can be three months but it can also easily be three years so it's about like understanding i think as a founder where are you and what proof points have have you shown and what are you missing and not going too fast too soon and thinking that you're now on the journey to you know get to your series a for instance without actually having the proof points um a for investors but really also for yourself uh, that is your company a seed stage company or or not and, and maybe now if like sentiments uh, macro uh, and, and like the investment climate changes uh from the heydays we've been in uh, i think that's gonna be even more important and something i'm thinking quite a lot about uh, make sure that you're you have the suit that that uh, is fit for for the stage and phase that you're in uh, and not too soon as a founder do you think that uh, what is happening of course um, in U- ukraine will be uh, really affecting the we, we are seeing that the first quarter already uh, has not been uh, as hot as the previous quarters in terms of um, investment rounds but do you think that this will have uh, an impact and that founders should prepare or we still need to wait a little bit more to, to see? Uh, I, I think million dollar question and I have okay. no, <laughs> no answers. But I think uh, just how I'm thinking about this is that yeah. I, I'm getting ready and getting my team ready for a quite different scenario, uh, scenario than we've been in uh, before. And I think Ukraine is one macro event, uh, but I think we also already saw like a tech sell-off or, uh, earlier, like uh, late last year, mm-hmm. and um, you know high inflation, uh, rising interest rates. Right. I think the climate, yeah. investment climate, um, will probably look quite different. Uh, so it's better to be here on the side of caution, if you will, and, and be prepared for that. Good point. Sometimes we forget with uh, this nightmare my nightmare that is happening that inflation was already uh, there before uh, exactly. it starts. Uh, good point, and uh, of course also the the effect of the of the pandemic that uh, demanded a lot of investment in the economy uh, without a, a structure uh, yeah. or some fundamentals behind it. Exactly. Like, are we going? Like, are we bouncing back? Uh, to what we had 2020 or 2021 or are we now rather like reversing to the five-year 10-year mean where the covid phase was more of an outlier on the upside and and 
we won't see that level again of activity and valuations like i i don't know but it's it's worth thinking about i think or in other words that's what you were uh, what you were saying some of the rounds and are being raised um don't fit into the criteria that sh- the, the round doesn't fit the stage as you were saying right. so the company is raising uh, a round but might not have the criteria on the playbook to raise an a round so they might right. be much more a seed stage company not a, a stage company even if the company has raised the the a round exactly the difficult part there is um if in the next investment round the process is much more strict into the metrics we will need to go we'll need to make two two stages instead of one so exactly. we'll need to do what we didn't do at the seed stage and now we need to do also what we did to do at the a stage so we might instead of 12 to 18 months we might need 36 months and uh, this will create a huge pressure in terms of uh, runaway yeah. uh, and, and the way we manage them and and we know it's never a good moment to to be uh, in in that situation that we need to start cutting costs and uh, extending the runaway because uh, in this kind of companies we also want to play to win and not uh, play to not lose rights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> great point. Yeah. So I so, completely agree. Um, any any other uh, final reflections before we move into the wrap up segment of uh, of the show? I think we've uh, covered <laughs> covered things well. Uh, nothing nothing that I can think about now. I like the the muscles that uh, founders and and CEOs and I would say even key executives need to develop, right? So we have covered a little bit of on ICP, the geographical expansion, a little bit the strategy muscle, that is also really connected with the revenue muscle mm-hmm. because I think that strategy, especially at these stages, is really about creating that. Um, repeatable, profitable, and scalable revenue machine. And mm. this, this needs to be made together and also a lot of team skills. Yeah. Then we discussed a lot, of course, here, recruitment. Uh, I think that's one of the most important muscles that's at the moment for any founder. And, and finally, fundraising, ensuring that there are always cash uh, on the bank account so we can keep uh, moving With the lights on. <laughs> so I think that we kind of cover the, the main muscles that uh, founder, CEO, and even key executive needs to, to have because I also believe that a great VP could be the, the CEO, but has a but chooses to have um, a special domain that that person loves, and it might be marketing or sales or product or whatever it is. But everyone in the leadership team should think as a as a CEO, mm-hmm. and we see that uh, those executives uh, need to have very strong muscles in terms of hiring um, as well. For uh, sure, nowadays. Cool. So. If you would have a coffee with Malcolm at the beginning of this journey at Alva Labs, what advice would you offer to that Malcolm that is now thinking, I will jump out of the VC seat and I will become an operator again. And I have this big dream to start Alva, but uh, what should I, what I'm not able to see yet? Right. A great question. I think there's many things, but uh, <laughs> like one one thing is um, uh, like the classic: start small. Um, don't 
build a too broad of a product, like go super, super niched. Even it's like, uh, I think it's famous by Paul Graham quote, right? Like, even if it's like five people that have your problem that you can solve well, uh, like make sure you do that first and then you can expand. Uh, I think that's the easy mistake in the beginning that you're like uh, trying to please too many potential customers. Um, So that's, that's one key learning. Then the other one I think is um, that like take take it easy and don't look too much at what you know others are doing or what you think you should be doing because someone you know some oracle on, on twitter said so like do your thing get the basics right focus on your customers build a strong team keep improving the product uh it's quite easy i think i guess it's a personality trait as well but quite easy to get yeah. caught up in um you know what others are doing or saying you should do uh, and some obviously are great advice uh, and you can learn a lot but it's easy to get caught up in that and get stressed out right and and i think take it easy um, talk to customers and build a good product that's a good start i've been writing down your reflections i think <laughs> that they are really really great and uh, it's it's really about uh, ensuring that uh, first things first, right? It's, this is really important. And sometimes we assume, especially when the space is new, that if the competitors are doing something or or the players are doing something in, in, in that area that we are playing, it is right and it is working uh, very well. So yeah. we, we should follow <laughs> what, what they are doing. And mm. sometimes that's not true. It's not working at all. They are just doing an attempt of making it work, but uh, it doesn't mean that it's working. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do your thing. It needs to be authentic. And like, exactly. yeah, I think that's a good good start. What are you the most proud of so far with, with Alva? Uh, I think the thing I'm most proud of is really now, you know, four and a half years in the impact that we're having on now how like hundreds of companies of various sizes are to some extent, like really rethinking the way they do hiring. Um, For some, it's been a long journey. For some, it it came easier. Um, And how the sort of downstream effect of that now that we're at some kind of scale, you know, hundreds of thousands of candidates are are now you know objectively and fairly assessed and the way they also which is maybe what i'm most happy about is really how candidates are really engaged and and happy and appreciate the product experience but also what what that leads to and what that means for for them as candidates in a given hiring process so that's that's i think the most what i'm most proud of so far it's worst advice ever received uh actually don't know it's super clear but i think i got some uh, advice early on like go big or go home um which i think is um like not always true for founders and employees i think that speaks to something that might be like uh, um, misaligned incentive sometimes between investors and, and founders right. and employees like uh, bet everything on red uh, might work for the fund economics uh, for a big fund, but for the for the team hustling twenty four seven, it maybe not uh, the right right move, right? So um, I think that probably. But I I've, I haven't good gotten point. that much bad advice, so I think um, <laughs> that's good. Congratulations! Thank you. So, favorite book? 
favorite book um like i quite recently read ray dalio's uh recent book yep. on the changing world order uh why exactly. nations fail uh, succeed and fail which i think was really interesting uh and also quite timely given current events uh exactly. and to our discussion earlier on like how to think about and prepare for like a changing fundraising climate i think there's a a lot going on which is super complex and like the more you think about it the more you're confused uh, to some extent uh, and uh, but i think it's quite important to think about that because it's quite high probability i think that the coming five ten years will be quite different to the previous 10 years uh, and how to sort of prepare for that and this is uh, exactly a, a good book because as, as a ceo we need to uh, be able to read uh, how the wind is changing so we can adapt uh, um, the boat uh, yeah. in, in the right direction, right? Exactly. Favorite movie or series? Um, I think um, Game of Thrones. Got it. For any reason? Is it's just like re really good. I think okay. I, that's one of the few ones that I've been Fair you know, enough. first minute it's live. I've been uh, watching it Triggered. every week. Uh, okay. So, and finally, favorite podcast excluding uh, Skill Up Uh I think if I had to choose one, I think Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Okay. What is that pod the podcast about? It's like a long form, often monologue on like um, an historic event, um, typically wow. with a, I believe it's a professor of history and like really, That's really nice. engaging and exciting and insightful. And it's like a bunch of different long form series that is done. And like there's one actually conversation he has with, with Elon Musk, uh, which I think is wow. really good, uh, which I recommend on like, I, I believe the episode was Engineering Victory where they talk about the impact of uh, historic outcomes due to like uh, due to engineering essentially and, and innovation and how that sort of impacted wars and, and the path of history. Uh, good, good show. Right. People can go back when they are listening to the podcast, but what is the name of, of the podcast uh, again? Hardcore History with Hardcore Dan Carter. History, got it. Awesome. That's that's a great one. Always learning a lot from these questions. Yeah. Thanks to Alex, our podcast producer, who challenged me to add these questions to get to know more about the guests. And I'm learning so much about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, so much inspiration from this. Malcolm, thanks so much for making the time. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks a lot. Really enjoyed it. And uh, to our community, we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier. Uh, not easy, uh, but also very funny. So see you soon and keep scaling.